tackle to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen. All right. Now, I, Paul, have been called and sent by Jesus, the Messiah, according to God's plan, along with my friend Sosenus. I sent this letter to you in God's church at Corneth. Believers cleaned up by Jesus. I like that. Believers cleaned up by Jesus. You know, you've been, you've been cleaned up by Jesus? Like, your mama didn't clean you up. Your pastor didn't clean you up. Jesus cleaned you up. Jesus did it. Cleaned up by Jesus. Set apart for a God-filled life. I include my greeting all who are called out to Jesus wherever they live. He's the master as well. He's their master as well as ours. May all the gifts and benefits that come from God our Father, the Master Jesus Christ, be yours. Every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives. The free and open access to God given by Jesus There's no end to what has happened in you. It's beyond speech, beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. Just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. Just think, you don't need a thing. If you've got Jesus, you've got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you. As you wait expectantly for our master Jesus to arrive on the scene for the finale. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until things are all wrapped up by Jesus. God, who got you started on this spiritual adventure, shares with us the life and his son and our master Jesus. He will never, never give up on you he will never give up on you never forget that lord this morning um god i just pray that you would come in and just continue to breathe in this place lord if there's someone in here this morning um that doesn't know you someone in here that um Maybe they didn't even know that they're looking for you, God, but this would be the day that you reveal yourself to them, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so a little bit of background about this portion of Scripture that we just read. Paul is writing it to this church at Corinth. Uh, Paul has spent 18 months with this church. He is the founding pastor here uh, at this, this church, and this letter is a uh, response back to them because Paul has gotten word that some things are happening at Corinth that are absolutely crazy. Talking about it has gotten crazy at this place, and, and these letters go back and forth, and he addresses um, at least 10 key issues um, in this letter to them, a lot of them de- dealing with issues of morality things that are happening in the church. Uh, Corinth was kind of like the sex capital of, 
of that part of the world. It was a place where sex was worshipped. There was all these different sex gods. There was sacrifices that were being made because of this. Um, there was, it was, it actually had gotten so bad uh, with some of their practices. Paul even goes on later to say, uh, there's things that y'all are doing even among the church that even unbelievers would be like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Like, it's gotten that crazy that, that even among the church that, that, whoa, hold on, we're not going that far with this thing. Uh, and it's, it's, there was a, a phrase or term that was coined in those days. So if you came to Corinth and, and you kind of partook in that city life, uh, it w- they would call it being cor- cor- Corinthianized. Corinthized, Corinthianized, I'm not saying it right, but you've been Corinthianized. You have, you have partaken into this culture. It's the modern of, equivalent of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And so, like, I say that phrase, and all of a sudden, you know, that brings about a certain mindset of Vegas and that lifestyle and everything. But let me tell you, what happens in Vegas can travel home with you, all right? It'll, it, it, it will be with you for a long time. All of those things, all of that life. And so there was this kind of phrase that, listen, you go to Corinth, you go to the, the Vegas of that day, and you partake in all of this kind of crazy lifestyle. But here's the kicker. He's speaking not, not to just these unbelievers. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. And he's writing these letters, and he gives them all these, these warning. And they begin to go back and forth. And it brings out about all these questions uh, between, well, well, what's actually happening? Are, are these Christians actually followers of Christ, or are they just a product of the society that they're living in? Have you ever thought about that? How much of what you do and what you believe is a product of living in Christ, or just simply a product of being inside this American culture? Let me say it another way. Uh, the life that you live, the things that you do and you don't do, how, how much of that is dependent upon this culture that's been ingrained in you from birth, from your parents, from your mom, from your dad, from what society says, or from what Jesus teaches? Uh, it, it, it brings out a lot of, it is, is morality just relative? Can you just kind of live and, uh, and do whatever you want? Or, or is there a certain standard? Is there truth? See, we don't like these kind of questions because it means, well, if, if there is an absolute truth, that means there's an absolute truth giver. If there's a sense of morality, that sense of morality has come from so- someone. And so, like, we can all agree that there's certain things that we say, well, this is wrong. Well, why is it wrong? Why is it wrong to cheat on your wife? Why is it wrong to kill little babies, right? Well, that certain sense of morality just inherit into you? Why is it? Uh, are we a product of Christ or are we a product of society? Is there absolute truth? Have you been shaped by Christ, by Christ or have you been shaped by America? Good questions. And so Paul writes this letter to a church that in many ways has not taken on the things of Christ, but taking on the things of its cultural practices, which is completely contrary to the, to the teachings of Christ. And so he addresses a culture that is a Christian culture, but living a completely different standard. Does that sound familiar? For, for some of y'all, let me, let me tell you what that means. America. 
<laughs> a Christian culture founded on Christian beliefs and Christian doctrines and ideas, and yet are we living out these principles as a whole in our society and everyday life? No, absolutely not. And so uh, Paul writes this letter and addresses these Christians. And so there's a lot of things that go on. But today, what I want to particularly focus on is how Paul goes about addressing this situation. The manner in which Paul addresses the church and society. Okay? First thing he does. He says this. Every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives. Whoa. Whoa. This is a church that's gone completely crazy. Completely doing things that even unbelievers aren't doing. And Paul's from the very beginning. Listen, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. See, we, we've, we as a church, sometimes we get this kind of doom and gloom mentality. Oh, America, we're going to hell. Oh, we've, we've taken God out of the schools. We've taken prayer out of the schools. We've got this president, and we got that president, and we got all of these things and all of these issues, and, and who's going to use what bathroom, and homosexuality, and who's doing this thing, and all of these issues, and, and we just kind of address them. And our attitude, for the most part, is I, I'm getting out of there. I'm leaving. Uh-uh. We, 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 got, we got to escape this scene. We got to, we got to get away, right? How, how many times have you heard some of these celebrities in the last few months yeah, well, if that person's elected president, I'm leaving America, right? Peace out. You know? But how many times have you, oh, come on, hold on. How many times have you, Christians, had that same type of mentality? Oh, well, things have gotten, things have gotten bad. I'm leaving that. I'm leaving there. I'm, le- I'm leaving, uh, I, I, you know, Vegas. We got to leave Vegas. We got we to gotta get away from Vegas because it's gotten so bad there. Well, what if all the Christians did leave? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that we're supposed to be transforming our culture? That that, that the light of God inside us is supposed to make a difference? But yet when we take this attitude of doom and gloom and, man, well, we've just kind of got to get out of there, man, we, we find ourselves more shaped by society than by the cross. And what happens is when we have this kind of uh, uh, just escapism mentality of, man, I, I got to get out of there. I'm just, things have gotten so bad in Shalot. Things have gotten so bad in Shalot that I'm, I'm moving to Ireland. I don't know, wherever you want, wherever y'all want to move to, you know, because things get so bad in Shalot. And, but whenever we have it, what happens is whether we realize it or not, with this type of mentality, it puts society, and we begin to put, put society as, as like, this is society and this is me, and I point the finger to you. And I take no personal evaluation in everything that's going on. It's simply someone else's problem. It's the government's problem. It's the church's problem. It's, it's my neighbor's problem. It's, it's the president's problem. It's, all the, it's the TV preacher's problem. That they're the ones that caused all these things. And, and they are the ones. And never recognizing that we are contributors to our society and the world that we live in. That we are salt. And light. And it leaves us with the sense of superiority. I'm leaving here. I'm getting out because I'm so much better than you. And yet Paul starts this letter. Listen, when I think of you and I think of you often, even though in this very present state that you're in, man, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I, 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 I love you guys. He's not trying to escape. See, as Christians, sometimes 
We're known more, for, mo- known more by what we're against than what we're for. See, the world knows this as, well, we're against this. We're against this sin, and we're against this sin, and we're against that. And, and, and we're, we, we neglect to tell people what we're for. We just give them a bunch of rules. We'll come to Christ, but don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and, and we say all of the things that we're against. And what about what we're for? What about what we're for? It's, it's kind of the equivalent of whenever you, you try to go to dinner with your wife, and you say this, men, that you know you shouldn't say, but you say it anyway, what would you like to eat 30 minutes later? Uh, and, and then this happens. Well, 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 how about Applebee's? No. How about Chili's? No. How about Jerome's? No. How about, and then we just, no, 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 no. What would you like to eat? And it's kind of like, that's the equivalent of Christianity. We just say all these things. No, you can't do this. No, 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 no. But like, what are we for? We've given the rules without giving the life. And so Jesus comes on the scene and says, listen, there, 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 there is this promise of new life, but it is governed by certain rules. There are certain, certain things into living like Christ. See, I would love to not pay taxes. You know, that portion of scripture where Jesus talks about paying taxes, render under Caesar. Like, if we could get rid of that one, like, no, sorry, Christian, can't pay taxes. You know, you guys are on your own. You know, no, we have to do it. it but let's be honest. Sometimes... It would be easier to cheat. It'd be so much easier just to cheat. It'd be so much easier just to lie. To just, man, you've been there. You've had that moment where there's the thing inside of you that says, man, it would be so much easier if I could just. Uh, let me put it this way. It would be so much easier if we just drowned you at baptism. <laughs> Serious. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Escapism. Just hold you under. We don't have to worry about you. We don't have to worry about your attitudes or who sinned against who, all these issues. No. Escape it all. Baptism. Hold them under. Right? You know I'm right. See, when it comes to this idea of living this Christian life, oftentimes we'll find ourselves on one of two extremes and forgetting that these things need to be married. The one is that we talk about the cross, and we should talk about the cross. It's, the, it's a pivotal point. But when we only talk about the cross and leave out resurrection, where's the hope in that? Or, or, or we go to the other side of the road, and we only talk about resurrection and then life in Jesus Christ, but we forget to mention the cross. See, because there is no resurrection without a death first. And see, when we talk about death and resurrection, these things should always be married. It's not just what we're against, but what we're for. It's not that you just come to, come to Christ and, and, and that you die, but you come to Christ, die, and that you would have new life. These things married. And see, when we speak of the cross and we speak of resurrection and these things married, that is speaking the truth in love. See, see on, on one hand, we might just say the truth, but we leave people, well, well where's the hope? And that. And, and the other time, there, well, there might be love in what we're saying, but it's this twisted kind of love because, hey, then you, you don't have to die. You can just do whatever you want. And, and morality is just nominal, and you could do whatever. And what's good for you and, and what's good for me, you could believe what you want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe, and in the end, we'll all make it to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. 
the cross, the resurrection, these things marry. It's, it's not just what we are against. It's what we are for. So Paul doesn't speak about this escapism type of mentality. He, he speaks it to this culture and says, listen, I'm thanking God for your lives. You have free and open access to Jesus. Wow, you were sinners. Christ died for you. No matter how, how bad things look on the outside. It's so bad that people have coined a term for this city in which you live in and you've gotten so crazy. And yet Paul says, listen, there's life in Jesus and there's hope and it's not doom and gloom. So when we approach this culture that we live in, we don't approach it with a doom and gloom mentality. We, 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 we approach it with thanksgiving. God, God, I thank you. Thank you for this people. I thank you that I'm a part of the change. The next thing as we approach our culture is this. He says this, that the evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your life. In other words, that, that Christ is made, made known through your living, and it's not a secretive thing. See, now in the culture that we live in, we say, listen, you could come to Christ and, and he could change your life, but you keep that private. You could talk about anything you want, but don't talk religion. Don't talk about Jesus. You go into the workplace, you could talk about anything you want in the work- workplace. You could talk about all your sexual escapades. You could talk about how all of these things, total F-bomb, every other word, but don't talk about Jesus, Right? Don't talk about Jesus. You, you privatize that. You keep it to yourself. And, and there, there's, there's Jesus over here in this church, and there's what you do on Sundays, but then there's the rest of life. And everything gets compartmentalized and, and, and detached and private, privatized. Is that a word? Privatized? Privatized. I'm watching you. Okay. Sometimes the 70s hit me. And you believe whatever you want, but just keep it to yourself. And what happens is uh, the 2%, the 3% are the majority voice, and the majority remain silent. We remain silent. We keep our faith to ourselves. We remain silent on issues because what's happened is we've looked out, and we, we've seen, you know, Christianity is the only, only religion, only religion that is that is solely judged and based on its abuse. The only religion that's solely judged and based upon its abuse. In other words, this, when you turn on the TV, you're going to see the, the crazy Christians out there picketing abortion clinics. And inside the mind of every other American, well, that's a Christian. They do this crazy messed up stuff. And so it's like the abuse of it, the, the, the small percentage of, of those that have abused this gospel message and, and kind of taken and twisted and, and, and gay bashing and, and, and hate and anger, that's, in, in a lot of people's minds, that's what it is to be a Christian. And, and it means that, well, you're, you're, you're simple-minded and, and you're shut off and, and you don't love and, and you have all of these things. And so what happens is whether we realize or not, sometimes subconsciously, to tell, we don't want people to know that we're followers of Christ because they would associate it with that person. Uh, I, I remember even when I was in Indonesia, people would, I, I would have to qualify what it means to be a Christian. Well, are you a Christian? No. I'm not a Christian in the sense that you think that I'm going to judge you. I'm not a Christian in the sense that you think that uh, I'm, I'm going to sit here and point my finger at you. I am a Christian in the sense that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And, and it, it'll open up a brand new, like he has to be qualified. 
Because that's, that's, that, that, that's in so many people's minds. Because we've been, it's been judged by its abuse. And, and, and we shut down. We lock off our faith. We d- departmentalize it. And we, we, we imagine Christianity is that guy on TV that, send in your money now. I'll send you this handkerchief from the Miracle Mountain of Prayer. Right? You've seen that guy. But think other people have seen that guy, and they think, well, that's real Christianity. Like, it's not. Okay? And if you've ever given 50 bucks to the Miracle Mountain of Prayer guy, you got robbed. Okay? I'm just letting you know. Like, none of that. <laughs> Even <laughs> some of y'all have, I know. Like, I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Like, even when we bought these stickers, the Coastal Vineyard Church stickers, I was so afraid to put it on my wife's car. Because if y'all have ever driven behind my wife, like, I didn't want her driving and the word church in the same sentence. Like, like can we put a different sticker on your car, babe? Because, like, I don't want people to associate Jesus with what you just called driving or parking, but for that matter. Because, anyway. Like, really? Like, but it's those crazy few, right? Right? And we all have them. Every family has them. Go to your family reunion. You will see them. They're there. Every family, like, and if you don't think you have them, that's because you are that person. Like, I'm just letting you know. Like, you are. And, like, Jesus had them. Peter was. Peter would be like, hey, Peter just chops off ears. Jesus like, well, got to heal that guy again. You know? It was, it's part of it. It's part of it. But, but that doesn't mean that we should stay silent. It doesn't mean that we should compartmentalize our Christianity. What would the world look like without the church? I know the church is messed up. I know the church has problems. I know the odds are there's a great percentage of people in this room now that has been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by a pastor. You've been hurt by by, by a, a system, and you've been forgotten, and you've been marginalized, and it takes everything in you just to be here this morning. But for a second, imagine what the church would look like without the church. And for a second, let me make this on a super practical level. Let's, let's say that we weren't even people of faith. We weren't even people of faith. Let, let me tell you a few things that the church has contributed to society. The, the church has contributed more hospitals than any other organization. As a matter of fact, the church is the largest Healthcare and educational provider in the world. The church is the largest healthcare and educational provider in the world, especially overseas. Especially overseas. The church starts homeless shelters, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army. Many of our universities were founded by the church and Christian principles. The, ch- the church was the world's first orphanages. The world's first orphanages were churches. The, the, the orphan children of those cities would come to churches. Imagine if we didn't have the church. Now, I know you can look at me and you can say, well, Lucas, all of those things that the world does as well. The, the, the world does food pantries and, and the world educates and the world has hospitals and, and, and shelters and orphanage, and, and the world does all of these things, and, and you're right. But, but the difference, and, and a big, big difference is this, the motivation in which we do these things. You see, because the church is non-for-profit, 
The church is not, not for our gain. We do all of these things as unto the Lord. We do all of these things. See, it's, it's not just about eliminating poverty. It's not about uh, uh, clothing uh, those that need clothing or the homeless or, or, or the poverty strucken. It, it, it's about we're doing these things as unto the world because as we serve humanity, we serve Christ. And, and it means this. That means when we give of ourselves and you don't say thank you, it's okay. You see, when the world does these things, they expect something in return. Go to the hospital and don't pay that hospital bill. Go, go to all these things and don't have any money. Don't have any influence. Don't have any job. Do all these things and, and see how long their generosity will last. You see, the church does all these things. And, and in James it says, listen, pure and undefiled religion is this. Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you, that you would help the widow, the orphan, the poor. You know, I was praying about this one day. I came upon this verse, and I thought to myself, you know, God, at this moment, when I read this verse, i, I got to be honest with you, Lord. I don't really know a lot of widows. I, I don't really know a lot of orphans. I, I know a few poor people, God, but for the most part, like the, the widow, like, it has my faith, is it, is it tainted? And, and this next part that I share with you, this is what God was speaking to me. So, like, You've got to take this with a grain of salt. But, but as I read this, I, I felt like God say this to me. What do all three of these things have in common? The widow, the orphan, the poor. All three, when you give to them, you don't expect anything in return. They have no way in repaying you. That widow can't repay you. That orphan can't repay you. The poor can't repay you. And so pure and undefiled religion is when you give and expect nothing in return. When I give of my life to you, and you know what? You could leave, and you could smack me in the face, and it's okay. You, 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 you can turn around, and, and, and you don't have to say thank you, and, and you don't have to pay me back, and, and all of this I give unto you freely, because freely it's been given to me. Jesus came, and while I was a sinner, he took all of it and said, you know what? Here it is. It's for you. It's available. Just receive it. He died for all of us. And it was pure, and it was undefiled. See, but whenever we start expecting something in return, whenever we start living our Christian lives in order to get something back from somebody, well, see, I'm I'm going to bless this person so that way later on they can bless me, right? Or I'm I'm going to really do something for this organization, but for later on so that way they will, you know what I'm talking about? And when we begin to start to think like that, man, that's, that's not, the, that's not the church. That's the world. That means the church is no longer this living, breathing organism, but more of an organization. And it's based on for profit. And it's based on for me. And what I could get out of this. And our religion gets tainted. And for so many, that is their aspect of Christianity. And we stay silent. And when we put these things in little boxes, what happens to our faith is this. Our faith will ultimately have no meaning. Because what we do is we say this, God, you are Lord over this part of my life, but Lord, all of this other stuff, I got it covered. And ultimately, our faith in Jesus just means, well, well God, you're, you're Lord over this. And that will eventually turn to meaningless in everything we do. 
Think about that for a second. When our faith remains silent, when we box Jesus off, Paul says, listen, this evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your life. And he says this, just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you. You've got everything. Do we, do we realize that we have a present hope in Jesus? A present hope in Jesus? See, sometimes our faith becomes a future hope. Our faith becomes this, this kind of escape mentality of like, all of this is going to get really bad, and we'll, we'll finally escape, and we'll have Jesus, and we'll have heaven, and then everything will be good. And yet Paul looks at this church and says, listen, even in the midst of this pain, even in the midst of the suffering, even in the midst of your morality being totally twisted and influenced by the world, there is a present hope right now in Christ Jesus. So no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what pain and suffering, no, no matter all of the questions that you have, and there's, there's nothing at the end of the question mark, listen, you have a hope in Jesus for right now. For right now. He is a ever-present hope in your time of need now it doesn't mean that there's always this kind of path away from it but it means there's a path through it it means jesus is right there he says he's never left your side it's easy to look at our culture and to get all doom and gloom it's easy to look at society and just say it's gotten crazy people are doing crazy things it's, it's easy to just want to seclude ourselves and just say, well, we'll just keep our faith private and, and we'll just kind of wait until we escape this world. And yet Paul says, listen, this is not Christianity. What other hope do you know of? What other hope do you know of that can fix you? See, because you've tried to fix you. How, how well is that going? Right? Your wife, your husband has tried to fix you. Society has tried to fix you. Your president's tried to fix you. Your neighbors try to fix you. Your job, like all these people try to fix you. You messed up. I'm messed up. What other hope than Christ Jesus? What other hope than Christ Jesus? What other hope can say to the storm, stop, and it has to listen? What other hope can take some fish and some loaves and feed 5,000? What other hope can take your water and turn it into wine? What other hope can say, let there be light, and it is? What other hope can say, waters, be, fish, be, sun, be, sky, be, stars, be? What other hope? What other hope can say silver and gun, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What other hope, what other hope can be dead and laid in the grave for three days and then resurrected? No other hope. There is no other hope than Christ Jesus, and he is our very present hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what pain and hurt, And no matter how much you just feel like, God, I don't understand, He is right there. He has never left your side. Let's pray.
This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on.